You ever used a, a word or a phrase that you thought you knew the meaning, but you really didn't? Okay, a couple years ago, I was using the word penultimate, P-E-N, then ultimate. And then just by the, the look of it, I thought, that's a very impressive word. Like, you would think it's, it's extraordinary or like a compliment to people. So I, was, I used it in a couple of sermons as a, as a way to like say, this, this thing is like the penultimate thing. And like it was extraordinary, above and beyond. And then I remember I was talking to somebody in the hallway too that they, they said something and I thought, yeah, that's a good, that may be a nice compliment. And I, and I said, that's penultimate. And then they said, do you really know what that means? And I said, yeah, it's like above and beyond extraordinary. They said, no, it means next to last. Okay? So sometimes we, we use words that we think we know, but we don't know. And I think it, when it comes to the Christian faith, that happens sometimes that uh, words like salvation, or maybe it's heaven and hell, or maybe it's gospel. If we were to go around the room and to de- sort of define what the gospel means, I think we would get a myriad of responses. And, and yet, Jesus clarifies many times what the gospel is. And I just want to think for a moment, what is the gospel? We tend to boil it down to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the good news, sharing that with people as an opportunity for them to uh, invite Christ in their life, to have faith in him, to become a Christian. And, and, and among other things, we talk about the gospel. But what I want to do in this series of, uh, in the kingdom of God is really to expand your view of the gospel. Because when, when Jesus talks about the gospel, he links it to a very certain phrase. It's the most repeated phrase by him uh, in his teachings. And it's called the kingdom of God. And that's our series for the next six weeks. I am so excited as we dive into this because about five years ago, I had a paradigm shift in my ministry when it came to really thinking about the kingdom of God. And it's a Jewish expression. You see it all over the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets uh, prayed and hoped and wanted and desired for the kingdom of God to come through the Messiah. And then Jesus comes and he talks about the kingdom of God. And uh, some writers and scholars and pastors really had an influence on me as I really began to understand the kingdom of God. And among them is John Ortberg, Dallas Willard, N.T. Wright, and others. And this series is going to be based on their uh, writings and their uh, impact on me. So I want to jump in. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter, chapter 1. Because the question I want to ask is, is with this gospel, as we get into that, uh, what sort of prominence did the kingdom of God have in the teachings of Jesus and also in the prominence in the rise uh, and growth of Christianity? In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, and if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with your teaching notes, or if you have a Bible app, you can do that as well. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Before I start, let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for what you're doing here. And just to hear the news about local outreach, that we're not taking a summer off. In fact, we are, we are just ramping it up. Uh, we're hitting a different gear. And I'm so excited about what you're doing in and through the people of this congregation. And God, that this is a church family. That we work together, we serve with one another, we provide for each other. And in this time, as we gather as a church family, that you would teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? 
Amen. Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 15. If you're new to the Bible, uh, we tend to believe that Mark was actually the, the first gospel written, and Matthew and Luke in particular base their, their gospels on Mark. In, in theological circles, it's called the Mark and priority. So Mark, Mark's gospel is very important for us as we look at that, verses 14 through 15. Later on, after John, this is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. God's good news. In other words, the gospel. The time proclaimed, promised by God, excuse me, has come at last, he announced. He proclaimed, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So right there, this is, this is, this is shattering, okay? For, for people alive at this time when they're hearing this, especially Jewish people, to hear this kind of language, that the kingdom of God, the much-anticipated kingdom of God, is here right now. It's available. Okay? That would blow your mind. Think about something that would just kind of just, you know, you know knock you back a few feet. That's, that's what's happening here. When Jesus says this, this is a stunning, this is a groundbreaking statement. And people would, would sort of have an audible gasp. <gasps> The kingdom of God? Really? Really? It's prophesied for centuries of time in our scriptures in the Old Testament? Yes. And not only that, we also see it in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. I'm just going to kind of go through a number of passages because we see this common thread, this link between the gospel, the good news, and the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages and announcing the good news about what? The kingdom of God. Okay? Over and over we see that. This linking. We have this link. It's sort of like, like a, a hyperlink between the gospel leads you to the kingdom of God. And he took his 12 disciples with him. Moving ahead, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. This is uh, when they... they uh, go around and, and uh, share more about the good news. One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about what? The kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then he goes on and talks about take nothing for your journey and etc. etc. So what we see here is this common thread. This is not coincidental. It's not like here and there. It's not arbitrary. It's a common thread throughout the gospel, throughout the ministry of Jesus, that we see this repeated phrase of the kingdom of God. And this morning and over the next five weeks, we're going to explore what that really means and what it means to do kingdom living. Now moving into Acts chapter 1, verse 3. And this is his last time with his disciples before the ascension. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles in time, from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the weather. No. About what? The kingdom of God. Are you seeing a pattern? Yes. And then lastly, in Acts chapter 28, verse 31, this is sort of the end of the early church. Paul had planted a number of churches in, in Rome and Ephesus and, and Colossae and in Galatia, uh, all of the place, Philippi. And he's coming to the end in Acts chapter 28, verse 31, sort of Paul's last words to the churches. 
And it says here, boldly proclaiming, this is Paul, the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. So I want us to really dive, look at this, and what does it mean when he says the kingdom of God? What does that really mean for us? If Jesus talked about this quite a bit as the most repeated phrase, and probably for us the, the most misunderstood phrase of Jesus, then what, is it, what does it really entail? And I hope that in this series and this morning that your mind is going to be expanded. It's going to be expanded when it comes to Christianity. Because I have a feeling that we have really reduced, abbreviated, I think in some ways neutered the Christianity to the point where, well, well, to be a Christian means to believe in Jesus Christ, uh, believe that God raised him from the dead, ask him into your heart and you'll be saved, and then we'll be able, when we die, to cross over from this earth over to heaven. Like we'll be able to cross the bridge. That we'll be able to have a place in heaven. And if I simply do that, the minimum requirements, then I'm in good shape. And maybe along the way I'll go to church maybe once every five or six weeks. Maybe I'll give a little bit, give some money here and there. Um, You know, maybe I'll serve once in a while. But I think for a lot of us, when it comes to faith, is that we've boiled it down to minimal requirements. What is the basic thing I have to do to pass? What, is, what are like the minimal requirements in order to get to heaven? And you, you, you don't see Jesus talking about that at all. But we, tend, we have tended to reduce it down to the minimal requirements. It reminds me of a guy I went to school with named Jeff. He kind of did his life based on the minimal requirements. For him, you know, it was like, what, what would it take to pass this class in ge- geometry? And he would just do enough to pass the class. And then we took his driver's license test. We were like, okay, Jeff, you know, you, you, you got to really go above and beyond what you normally do. Because his MO is the minimal requirements. And back in that day, it was the point system. And 70 was passing. Jeff got a 71. Okay. That's kind of how he did life, the minimal requirements. We're like, Jeff, you got a 71. You're going to, you know, we don't want to really ride with you at all. (laughs) When it comes to the football games on Friday nights, you drive alone, okay? Um, And then when it came to uh, high school graduation, we were kind of surprised to see Jeff at the graduation because we were really quite sure if he was going to make it. And we're like, Jeff, you did it. He goes, yeah, barely. (laughs) Like a big smile on his face. I barely did it, but I, I did what was minimally required of me. And that was so much of, of, of Jeff's life and how he did life. And I think in a similar way, when it comes to uh, this Christianity, we're like, okay, what would it take to pass? What is the minimal requirement to pass and get in heaven? And yet in Jesus, he gives us this picture with the kingdom of God. It's a word picture of a robust, beautiful, wonder um, way of life beyond anything that we can imagine. And then in Jesus, that's made available for the first time. That's why it's groundbreaking. Okay? In Jesus, that we actually have the opportunity to open doors to experience kingdom living right now, here on earth. We don't have to wait until heaven. We can have opportunities right now. And of course, it's not the full completion um, you know, we talk about that. It's, that. it's happened already, but not yet. That's sort of the, the, the uh, dichotomy when it comes to the kingdom of God. Of course, it's going to be fully completed in new heavens and new earth. But right, right now, we can experience 
those aspects of the kingdom of God right here and right now. All right, so what is the kingdom of God? And I just want to kind of make this relevant in terms of our own lives because you and I have kingdoms, don't we? We have kingdoms. In your teaching notes, if you want to fill this in, uh, your kingdom is really your effective will. Your kingdom is your effective will. That's from Dallas Willard and the Divine Conspiracy. Each of us has kingdoms, right? You parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You got a two-year-old. What's their favorite word? Mine. Second favorite word? No. Okay? Right from the get-go, they're creating kingdoms. I remember my son Alex and my daughter Allison, as we were driving one time in the back seat, and they're kind of arguing and fighting, which really happens among pastor's kids, by the way. Actually, I think it's more. But uh, anyways, Alex is in the back seat on the right side, and, and I remember Alex on the other, other side because that's where their kingdoms were. And, and Alex said, yeah, he's getting he's exasperated with his sister, and he kind of like drew this imaginary line, and he said to Allie, do not cross over. This is my space. And what does Allison do? Oh, she respects it, of course. No, she doesn't. She, come, she slides over just so that like, her left leg is just crossing that kingdom line, encroaching on Alex's kingdom. And, and yet we do that so often, don't we? Because we have our kingdoms. And, and it seems like a lot of our conflicts, a lot of, I would say, uh, the things that we have problems with people is that they're encroaching, like my daughter Allie, uh, on our kingdom. You know, I have two Springer Spaniels. Both of them sleep on my bed. I have a king-size bed. And uh, Macy's the smaller dog. She's about 35 pounds. But Riley's about 55. He's a good-sized dog. And as soon as my alarm goes off, he'll be sleeping off the side. And as soon as that alarm goes off, he comes flying over. And the thing I realized about Riley, we adopted him two years ago from a a Springer Spaniel uh, rescue deal, um, that Riley has very little self-awareness. And as soon as that alarm goes off, he comes flying across. He lays his big paws on my chest, and he's licking my face, and he's like, and then he gets over even more, and I'm like, he's like crushing my chest. I'm like, Riley, get off me. And it happens all the time. And, and because I have five alarms set every morning, he does it five different times. <laughs> you know? I think my chest is, my, my, uh, chest is going to break in at some point. And I push him off. I'm like, Riley, this is my kingdom. Get back in your corner. Leave me alone. And I think a lot what's woven into our personhood and our identity is the kingdom. Because we're made that way. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You don't have to look this up. This is where God says, let us make humanity, let us make man in our image. Let's make, let us make him in our likeness. And let him have dominion. You and I were meant for kingdom work. That's kingdom language is to rule and reign with God here on earth, that we have the opportunity. The kingdom, being wired for a kingdom and, and having that is not a bad thing. We're made for that. God, that's God-given for us to have this dominion. So as we think about what the kingdom is, I want to really center this on the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Exactly. So it seems like central to what Jesus was about is the kingdom of God. And I would, I would draw it this way. 
because the Bible talks about this and Jesus talks about this, that really we have this dichotomy. We have the kingdom of God and then I would say what the Bible often refers to, by the way, as world, the world is the kingdom of earth. And I don't have to really explain much about the kingdom of earth. I think all of us are cognizant about this. I mean, we have so much uh, vitriol and hatred and tension right now that's happening between our communities and the police force. And we have so much anger in politics. That's kingdom of earth stuff, okay? Uh, child abuse. Read these, these awful stories. It's like you have, we have to turn away. I have a friend, she's gotten to a certain point where she cannot take in the news anymore because it's so evil. It's so heart-wrenching. And I think a lot of you are like that. That's, that's kingdom of earth stuff. And, and what Jesus says is the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What you and I as followers of Jesus ought to be about, our mission is to be, based on that prayer, is to bring what is up there down here. So things like joy and peace, things like um, justice, those are all kingdom of God things. So oftentimes when we do sermons and we do a variety of topics, and sometimes I think we can kind of, uh, you know, hopscotch when it comes to sermons that all of a sudden you're jumping over here, jumping over here. What's the so, kind of the scope and sequence? As an educator, that's always in my mind. And I would say this, that when it comes to our faith, and when we talk about, for example, like last week, uh, having pleasure in our lives, living out in John 10.10, 10, the rich and satisfying life, and we've talked about grace, and we've talked about, uh, as Casey and Kendra talked about, serving, you can, those are all little tools put in the toolbox of the kingdom of God. That's what those are. So if, if you remember anything, remember that. The kingdom of God is like the toolbox. And it holds all those kind of things. And Jesus says it's possible to, to make those things happen here on earth. And you're filling the blank. It's bringing what is up here, up there, down here. Bringing what is up there, down here. And how does this happen? I think that's one of the questions. How does this happen? Can it happen? Do you believe it can happen? I mean, do we have to call the Avengers to make this happen? How does it happen? It happens between me and you. It's us. The way that God set it up is that people would be the conduits, would be uh, the means of bringing what is up there down here. Of course we're not perfect. Of course we fall down. But in the work of the Holy Spirit through our lives, we see that stuff happening. Liz Johnson and Cross, what they're trying to do, great things, they're doing kingdom of God work. That's what that is. Okay? And as we engage in that, and as we uh, work with God in, in what that happens, it occurs through our lives, and the next passage you have is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God, what? Transform you into a new person. That's how it happens. Transformation. The metamorphosis, that's what that word means. It's only used four times in the New Testament. It's a very important word. 
And it's a changing from the inside out. It's like a caterpillar into a butterfly. Uh, it's like a salmon that is born in fresh water and makes its way to salt water. We see this in, in botany. And, 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 and uh, Paul's talking about that, that, that transformation. That's how the kingdom of God happens in our lives. And that's bringing up there, down here. That's what this church is centered on. That as we gather uh, for church on Sundays, it's not just doing church. It's not checking the box off and, and like you did your religious duty of the week. Or, or maybe you volunteer. It's more robust. It's a lot more expansive than that. You are engaging in kingdom of God work right here. You're making what's up there down here. So as we talk about Feed My Starving Children on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and I want to encourage every one of you to sign up. I want to encourage every one of you at Maple Grove Covenant Church to give towards this. Because it was a year ago this summer, a year ago last summer rather, where I I began to pray during a study break about uh, our 2017-2018 big church goals. And I came up with five of them. And after a lot of prayer and thinking and bouncing off a few people, this was one of them. And began to think about what could we do to really uh, serve and provide for the hungry, to do kingdom of God work. And this came to mind because there was a, a church in Edina that had a big influence on me. And they're a lot larger, but they would spend a week where they would pack a million meals. And I'm like, okay, our church isn't that big, but what's 10% of that? Okay? And 100,000. I thought we could do, we could do 100,000 meals. That'd be very possible for our congregation. And I know it'd be a stretch, but the, the number just kind of came in my mind. I began to pray over that, and I just felt affirmation from God and others that this, we could do this. So then uh, we contacted Feed My Starving Children, and we asked them, because what I wanted to do was to bring the, their stuff here on site and make it a lot easier for people to serve. That people in this congregation, maybe for the first time, would serve. Um, some, a lot of you have been at Feed My Starving Children, but I didn't want to go to Egan. I didn't want to go to all other locations, but actually to have it here and to actually pack 100,000 meals. I had no idea, but to actually have their mobile site come here, you have to pack at least 100,000 meals. I had no clue. This is a God thing. So as we, as we serve Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and as, as uh, Jen talked about, we need a lot more volunteers on Friday, and our goal is $22,000, and I think we're at about $1,500 or so, but I know this is a resilient, scrappy church. We're going to be fine. Um, but what we're doing is not simply a humanitarian thing. It, we're, we're not doing so you can check the box off of, of volunteering. We're not simply doing this as, as feeding the hungry, although those things are good and important. What we're doing is trying to bring what's up there down here. Is everybody with me? Okay. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it's going to be sacred ground here. I really mean that. This is kingdom of God stuff. And, and if you have not been inspired lately, if you've kind of run um, a little bored with your Christianity, come on one of those days. And I, and I think you're your head's going to be blown off by what God is going to be doing here. I was talking, actually, at class at Bethel I teach right now. I was talking to a number of them about this, and I had this student that immigrated from the Sierra Leone, Africa, and I was telling him about what we're doing, 
And then I also shared that Africa has experienced the worst famine since World War II. Um, my history math is not the best, but that was a long time ago. Okay, worst famine in Africa right now. And a lot of this food that we're going to be packing is going to go to Africa. And I was sharing about this, and he came up to me. He goes, how can I serve? And he's not even part of my church. He's like, I want to be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all the shifts. I want to help out. Then I was talking to another person in that class. He's part of a church plant that's only three years old. And he's like, give me the, the, give me the information. I want to share this with our church. We, we love to serve. We're going to be there. And I can't tell me, I've been talking to different strangers. They don't even go to church here. They're going to be coming to be a part of this. This is kingdom of God stuff. It's kingdom of God stuff. I got friends on the East Coast who can't make it here Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday that from, I posted on Facebook and Instagram that they're forwarding this, this story about what we're doing to their friends and family to see what they would give towards this. Because that money all goes towards the shipping and also the food that we're packing. And in case you were, you were not here last week, this is a very important thing for me because in 2007, I spent two weeks in a village of Uganda, Africa, the poorest of the poor, way out in the bush. And my church plant, I was a senior pastor of that church plant in Hopkins at the time, we packed meals with Feed My Starving Children um, in advance, and then I had the pleasure to be there in that village to see an orphan like Garrett right here actually to have a meal. And I will never forget this. This picture sits in my office. And I've been praying about Garrett, and I'm praying about all the children and, and people in Africa that we can make a difference, that we can bring up there, down here. Maple Grove Covenant Church, Covenant Church are you up for this? All right. I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. Number one, pray. Pray. This is no walk in the park to pack that many meals. If you come, you'll be in a team of five. And your team of five, on the average, will be able to pack 150 meals per hour. And then in a two-hour shift, 300 meals. So if you do two shifts, that's 600. You can do the rest of the math on that. But here's the deal. Another, another reason why a year ago I felt like this was something for us to do, not only a part of our goal to serve and make a difference, but also as we live in community. Because as you serve, you're packing meals, conversations start to happen. You get to know some people. One of the best ways to connect with other people is by serving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here in Maple Grove Covenant Church this week, as it is in heaven. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for that the kingdom of God is available to each of us. And maybe we don't understand it fully, and we have the next five weeks together to really uh, dig deep about what that means. But God, we want to lift ourselves to you, our time, our resources, our talents, and give them to you. Because God, we want your kingdom to be so palpable, so tangible, so visible, that, that, that people sense there is something in the air Almost like walking from one room to another. and like the, It's like the, the temperature has changed. So God, we pray that you would work in a special way. And that this week, we'll have a taste, we'll have an experience of the kingdom of God. And there is nothing like it. In Jesus' name, amen.